Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out hey everyone, and please leave a five-star review. I actually have, have a, great a day. commercial broker with me who is also a real estate investor and a friend of One Rental at a Time. So Carrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Michael. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. I remember the first time we met. Has it been a year since we met there on Starbucks on Castro? Yeah, probably just about that. Just about a year, right? Maybe 10 months, maybe 13, somewhere in there. Uh, I was very impressed. Um, you had a couple of rental properties. You're in the business. Uh, but let's start with in the business. So can you give a sort of bio, who you are, what you do, what, who you, you know, your commercial background? And, and let's talk about that first, because I think a lot of people will be interested. Yeah, definitely. So um, again, as Michael mentioned, Carrie, I'm a commercial broker. I work for um, one of the biggest global real estate services companies, and I'm here in Silicon Valley. Um, what I do for them, so what I think a lot of people don't understand is how big a component on the commercial side leasing is. Mm. So I'd say most of the brokers in my office, they're actually leasing brokers as opposed to the actual buying and selling of buildings. Interesting. And so- yeah. And so with that, as a younger guy in the business, it's easier to get in on the leasing side because on the commercial side, especially in Silicon Valley, I mean, take your pick of buildings, you're 3 million, 4 million, 20 million, 100 million. Yeah. Um, so it's not as easy when someone sees this 25 year old face, yeah. it doesn't give them a lot of trust to sell their $20 million building yet. Yeah. But um, so anyway, starting off on the leasing side, what I would do, you can either represent tenants or you can uh -huh. represent landlords. Okay. And so I started off representing tenants and essentially that's being their advisor, helping them, whether it's they need to sublease space, whether they need to relocate, whether they need to renegotiate a deal. Um, that's kind of what you're there for. And so your fiduciary duty is to them in doing that. Awesome. And okay. so... Yeah. So on the commercial side, we're seeing a lot of interesting things right now. I mean, one of the biggest parts of, it, of my job is, you know, touring buildings and touring spaces with a client because it's, it's one thing to do, you know, 3D tour. It's one thing to see pictures or a brochure of a space, mm -hmm. but it's a whole other one to get an actual feeling for not just the space, but the building, building amenities, things of that nature. And so with the shelter in place, it's made it really difficult to do that. And so what we're seeing on the leasing side, and I'll touch a little bit on the sales side and what I've heard some of the senior guys talk about there, sure. um, is really that unless a group has a need to hit, either they have a lease expiration coming up in the next couple months or something else that's pressing, most of those groups are on hold saying, we're going to focus on my business right now, which is obviously the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And any of those relocations, renewals, those take a backseat until we kind of figure out where the market's going to be once we come out of this. Mm -hmm. um, just a couple interesting tidbits that we've been talking about. Uh, Blackstone, they actually walked away from a $20 million deposit up in Oakland. Uh, the word on the street is that they believe the market's going to be going down more than 5%. Um, and so that made them think that, okay, well, you know, our deposit generally 3% of the purchase price. Um, we're just going to walk away from that because otherwise if we'd stay in, we'd probably lose more money. Wow. Uh, construction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big number, but uh, construction is another one, at least in the Bay area. Um, construction has come to a standstill. 
I think that the only construction that's allowed is if it's a residential project where 10% of the units are considered affordable. Um, and I was actually on a call with, uh, with a big landlord in your area and they have a project, I think it's about 540 units, but only 48 of those are affordable. And so unfortunately they're hovering right around 9% and had to stop construction. Whereas wow. if you have, yeah, if you have, you know, a hundred a unit project and then 10 of those are affordable, then theoretically you would be able to commence construction. So, so there's six, there's six units short of 10%. Just rough yeah, they're, they're right there, but they've been going back and forth with the city of Mountain View on. Uh, oh, on you know what I would do? I would say, screw it. Six more are affordable. I don't care. Yeah. Let's just go. <laughs> yeah, because I can't imagine the, the money that they're losing by the delay. Oh, just the cost think, of just a carrying cost has got to be enormous. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine. But um, I think one of the big things about this on the commercial side is really the uncertainty. I mean, there's uncertainty mostly in where will the market be. The lenders, they've essentially dried up. And so there are really no new capital markets transactions going on right now. I think the one place that you'll see activity on that side is for kind of core assets, which are generally assets with um, credit tenants. Mm -hmm. You have your Googles, Facebooks. Um, prominent companies like that with long-term you're seeing leases, you know, 10 plus years yeah. on those assets. And Crazy. I think, and sorry for, yeah. And Go ahead. just one more comment on this sure. is that um, it'll be interesting to see again, once shelter in place is lifted, what changes it brings about within the office. Uh -huh. I know my company, we've kind of been publicizing what we did in um, an office in, I believe, the Netherlands, where you change it to a six-foot office. Yeah. And so it's basically one where employees are seated six feet apart. They have a circle around them that's, I believe, in the carpet, which basically shows how close you can get to that person. And so it'll be really interesting to see if more companies adopt, you know, are we going to keep a six-foot distance between yeah. employees? Because a lot of the tech companies, they're crunching people into spaces at densities of call it, you know, 120 square feet per person. And sometimes you'll see even lower than that. And that's yeah. where you go into these spaces. People are packed in at these, you know, three to five foot sit stand desks. And they're, you're right next to your neighbor and looking over at them all day, hearing them cough all day and whatever it might be. So yeah. people might not feel comfortable with that anymore. I mean, there's been more talk of using antimicrobial uh, materials in yeah. office design, more frequent cleanings, which leads to higher OPEX for the yeah. landlords. Yeah. But then that higher OPEX is oftentimes passed through to the tenants. Um, mm -hmm. Touches elevators, touches key cards to get into, uh, whether it be conference rooms, whether it be offices, to try and limit the amount that you have to touch what could potentially be contaminated door Gosh, handles or other man. potentially contaminated surfaces. So I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. We don't know what's going to happen yet, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. I want to go right back to the Blackstone. That was in Oakland. I think you said, right? Yeah. I'm yeah, assuming it was, it was an office building, but maybe not. Yeah. It was a 397,000 square foot office building uh, called Uptown Station. Mm. East to Square, the payments company. Gotcha. And again, this is public information, right? Blackstone walked yeah. away. Yeah. So it's not a secret. Yeah. Wow. That, that again, that Blackstone is often held out as one of those, those, they don't get a lot of things wrong. Right. So no, to see, exactly. to see them walk from 20 million bucks as the most cost prohibitive move. 
that should tell you something about Bay Area real estate, folks. <laughs> Pay attention to what Blackstone just did. That's pretty crazy. Um, wow. So I guess the other question I have for you is, and this may just be too early because again, you're on the leasing side. Uh, we obviously have class A kind of companies here, Facebook, Google, Square, those kinds of folks. But we have a lot of kind of early stage startups who are hurting, right? A lot of engineering, a lot of stuff where, where they, they're probably bleeding cash right now because I'm in the sales side, was in the sales side for 20 years. And I can promise you their pipelines suck right now. Uh, so they're not getting the revenue side. How many of them are, and again, if it's too early, it's okay. But how many of them are calling you up going, hey, I need to renegotiate. I need to break the lease, force majeure. You know, is any of that stuff hit yet or is it just too soon? Yeah, so we've been seeing a lot of emails and fielding a lot of calls about that. And, you know, the force majeure, that's that's a big thing and no lawyer here, but a lot of the force majeure provisions are written so that in the event of a force majeure, um, rent doesn't abate. Hmm. And so that's been a very contentious thing. And I know a lot of lawyers are really busy right now yeah, dealing I with the issue of does a pandemic, yeah, does a pandemic fall under that? And if so, what recompense do these tenants have? And yeah. so that's one of the interesting things to look at. You'll see some tenants who actually do have a need and then you'll see others trying to be opportunistic about yeah. the situation. Of um, and so what we're seeing when we go to landlords for a request of rent relief, um, most of them are requiring before even having that discussion, some financial proof from the tenants that they actually have a pandemic induced, um, you know, need to have rent relief. Yeah. I, I, so this we, is are, be, we are seeing a ton of those requests. Yeah. So it's going to be really hard for you to put a number on, but I'm going to ask you anyway, let's just, this is 100% a pure guess, one guy's opinion, all the caveats. So let's just assume the pie was a hundred, right? There's a hundred office buildings or spaces rented. What percent of that hundred are already asking for some kind of rent relief or abduction or breaking lease? I mean, is it 30%? Is it half? Is it, I mean, do you know what, what's your estimate? Whew. And that's, that's a tough, that's tough to say. I mean, with the amount of calls that we're, I'd say no less than 25% and okay. probably more than that if you factor in all the people that are being more opportunistic mm -hmm. than actually out of a need. And I would guess the trend is only up, right? Like three weeks ago, it wasn't 25%, it was 5% and then it was 15%. And so if this goes on another 30 days, again, just one man's opinion. You're 25 years old. It's a pure guess. I know I want to take all the caveats on, but it's not unrealistic to think that 50% could be asking for it in four to six weeks. Yeah, I don't think so at all. At all. And you know, one of the things I, I should have prefaced is that so the commercial that I deal in is office and R and D product. So I don't sure. actually touch any retail. Mm. And so I'm sure if you're talking to a retail broker, they would have a completely different oh, answer yeah, because sure. obviously, obviously the retailers are the ones that are being hit the hardest along with the hospitality industry. So I'm sure a retail broker would give you a much higher number, but I think that's more along the lines of what we're seeing on the office and R and D side. Yeah. So let's talk about office and R and D because retail is just, it's toast all year. I mean, it's just bad. But office and retail, or office and R&D is interesting. Again, it's my background. It's what made the Silicon Valley. It's all that stuff. I just have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to have 
a pretty big washout of startup technology companies in the next 12 months, which is going to ripple through office and R&D space. Um, I don't remember the last time we had double-digit vacancies in that product. I'm going to guess it was 2002, probably after 9-11. I guess what is the vacancy today in that product? Like true vacancy and because I'm, I'm guessing it's about to double or triple, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, it depends where you are. You know, take downtown San Jose, for example. Um, done a lot of work in downtown San Jose. And right now, vacancy rates, if you're looking at class A and B office, mm-hmm. uh, they're hovering right around 10%. Oh. And so <clears throat> really it depends. If you, go to, if you go to somewhere like downtown Mountain View, um, for office product, you're probably going to be in the threes and the fours. Right. Uh, you're okay. really low. So it really depends. I mean, Overall, in Silicon Valley, we have about 250 million square feet of office and R&D product, um, but really it's, it's super location specific. Gotcha. See, I love talking to guys. I don't have this data. So yeah, that makes sense. So we have 250 million square feet in the greater Silicon Valley total, roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, if you were to guess, probably again, it's obviously location specific, but if you were to just to say roughly 10% of that is vacant today, or maybe it was vacant in February? Um, you know, again, if you 8%? go up the peninsula, yeah. yeah, let's say around 8%. Okay. Just again, it's a complete guess. So 8% of 250 million is, what, that's 2.55. So that's about 10 million square feet, roughly. No, it's 20 million square feet. Sorry. 8%, yeah, you know, not four, 20 million square feet. My guess. And again, this is my opinion, not yours. Uh, I want to get, let you get off the hook. So nobody comes back <laughs> and yells at you. I bet you we're going to get pretty close to 75 million vacant square feet and maybe it's economic vacancy because maybe they're there but not paying um i bet we get there by the end of april oh no probably what are we in we're in april right end of may it's i think i think the silicon valley is going to get hit pretty hard by this and i think it's going to ripple over to single family homes and apartments and uh, and other stuff i think the market because again I, i I was in sales for 20 years. I was at a small startup company that was filed their S1, ready to go public. Then 9-11 happened. Our pipeline disappeared. We had to lay off a third of the company within two months. And we were sold for parts 10 months later. And this is bigger and deeper and impacts more folks. And I, I just feel, I just, I just don't have a great feeling about the Silicon Valley in the next 12 months. And, you know, one of the interesting things that I've heard people toss around is that this could be a really good opportunity for the Googles, the Facebook sales forces, as far as with startups being impacted like they are, there are a lot of talented engineers and other workers at those startups that are going to be laid off out of necessity. But then you have the big boys who have really deep pockets. And so some people think that this is going to be kind of an employee grab for them is that Mm. those talented people that'll be jobless, they'll just get snapped up by those companies. Well, very, very cool. Well, let's, let's flip the script now. So uh, actually, you know what, how can people get a hold of you if somebody's watching this and they have a need for office or R and D space in the Silicon Valley, do you want them to email you, call you? How should they get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, email me and call me email would be Carrick period young at cushwake.com. And then, uh, yeah, so that probably the best way to reach me would be there. Happy okay. to help and happy to discuss it with anyone. I will put your email as the first line of the description below. Let me just take an action item to do that. His email. Okay, gotcha. All right, so let's flip the script to what we started talking about a year ago. Uh, and that is your interest in growing, you know, a, 
a rental property portfolio, right? This whole one rental at a time mindset. Um, why don't we talk about kind of where you were positioned a year ago when we first talked, then we'll talk about what, where you're at now because there's been growth and that's very exciting. But most importantly, let's talk about the future. What's a 25 year old C what's a nearly 50 year old C uh, we'll debate that around. So remind me where you were a year ago. Yeah, so um, a year ago, we would have had just a couple properties in Jacksonville, Florida. And mm -hmm. so today that looks like we have three. And then we also went uh, turnkey and bought five properties in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and one in Memphis, Tennessee. So a total of eight at this point. Nice. All right. So again, uh, well, I'm sorry, what did you have a year ago? Two? Uh, yeah, so two, two, got it. Three in Jacksonville now, and now you got eight, and they're all single-family homes. All single-family. Very, yep. very cool. Um, so let's talk about. This is where I wanted this conversation to go. So we're both sitting in an environment that is hopefully once in a generation. Hopefully, you never have to go through this again. But that's going to present some unique opportunities uh, in the near future because we will eventually get out of this. When you look at this as a 25 year old who already has a great portfolio, right? Eight units at 25, that's a hell of a lot more than I had at 25. What, what are you thinking, right? What are you thinking for the rest of 2020? Have you thought about 2021? What, what, do, you, what do you think's going on? What, what are you looking to do? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, so to give you some background, <clears throat> during the uh, Great Recession back in 08, 09, I was about 13 years old, so. <laughs> Shut up, I don't wanna talk to you anymore. <laughs> I barely knew what was going on. I mean, life was good for me. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, look at where my mindset is today, looking back on it, I think like a lot of people who didn't end up taking advantage of it quite like you did, I look back on it and be like, you know, I feel for the people who lose their jobs and all the people that suffer economically in those times. But at the same time, it's an incredible opportunity if, you know, you've been preparing yourself for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of what I see over the next six months, over the next 12 months is a similar opportunity to prepare myself for. So hopefully I can take full advantage of that. Gotcha. So I'm curious, when you look at the opportunity that's in front of you, does your lens stay on Jacksonville, Dallas, and Memphis? Or do you look for a new market? Do you look to swing for a home run in the Silicon Valley if it goes on sale 50%? I'm just trying to get a feel. Um, yeah, let's start there. Right? Do you stay in the three markets you're in or do you look for a fourth market? Any idea? Yeah, I think what attracted us to the Dallas area was um, kind of the stability mm. of it. And so one of the th biggest things for me has been learning. And I think from the five turnkeys that we purchased compared to the three in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. um, I learned leaps and bounds more from the ones in Jacksonville because those were, you know, going from finding the deal to taking down the deal mm -hmm. um, all the way through finding property management, all the way to stabilizing that. And, you know, a couple of those have even had some major rehab components in that I can get into that later if you want, but one of them was a total mess as I'm sure everyone needs to go through. But I mean, the amount I learned through that process of essentially doing it myself, having to figure out things is much greater. And I've gotten a lot more from that than I did from the turnkey properties. 
Yeah, so let's scratch that a little bit, right? Because that, that is an often discussion, because again, right, we're both in the Silicon Valley, right? So um, it's, it's, it's been impossible to invest here. Even when I started way back in 02, 03, uh, it never made sense for buy and hold, at least in my opinion, because I don't bet on appreciation. But when people think out of state, you either go turnkey or you just take on a project. So let's talk about the project that was messy. Um, did, how many times did you go out to Jacksonville or did you try to do it all by phone and email? All by phone, email, yeah, video, all that good stuff. Would, so didn't actually go out there. Yeah. So first off, shame on you, right? If you're willing <laughs> to put money on the line, get your ass on an airplane and get out there. Um, so again, shame on you. But mm -hmm. do you think it would have been different if you were on the ground or maybe you had boots on the ground that you trusted? Like secondary yes. people? Yeah. So, you know, the one, the major thing that I would do this next time is interview the contractor a little bit more as uh, well as have a, pro have essentially a project manager right. that I trust and pay them, call it, you know, an oversight fee of yeah. a lump sum and just fa factor that into the cost of doing business for that project. And I think that those two simple things would have made this a really neat project because yeah. you know I've got a great property manager there got a great real estate agent there and so I trust them it was just really the contractor piece that was missing for me and so I think I did learn a lot about what I would do differently next time yeah and so the plan is next time I would take on that project manager I would spend more time getting to know and interviewing the contractor yeah I think that on that oversight the basically it has to be trusted boots on the ground and if you have to pay for it pay for it they have to be disconnected. They can have no affiliation with the contractor. It just has to truly be that independent third party who's frankly the only skin in the game they have is, is your success. So uh, strongly, strongly recommend. Um, so, okay. So now we're sitting here in April. We're, we're going to get through May. It'll be the summer. It'll be the end of this at some point. Do you envision your next pur purchase being a turnkey solution or a fixer? Have you thought about that at all? Yeah, completely. Um, it would definitely be a fixer. I think okay. as much as, as much as the company, and I think you had Kent Clothier on recently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. I did have it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, they make things really easy, almost too easy when you're someone that's trying to learn, yeah. <laughs> you don't <laughs> as much as you do from the ones you do yourself. So I think really in the interest of me becoming a better investor, I okay. think next one we're going to be looking at will definitely be um, some sort of rehab. Okay. So it'll be a fixer. Now, given that you really only have experience of doing a fixer in Jacksonville, do you think that your next purchase will be there or do you kind of take, or you go, nah, figure it out somewhere else? I think it'll be there. Um, okay. As you know, it takes, it takes a while to establish boots on the ground. And, okay. you know, we've been working with real estate agent property manager for probably the past, three years or so. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's been a good level of trust that's developed there. Right. Um, and so instead of trying to recreate the wheel yeah. somewhere else, and I think Jacksonville, again, I like the Jacksonville market. Um, so I think we'll be, we'll be focused there. I think that, again, I was hoping that was the answer, but I had to ask. Cause I think, I think, <laughs> you know, again, I talk about it all the time, right? And we talked about it a year ago is you've got to learn your market. You got to do the homework. We talked about the spreadsheet that I teach people on, right? You built a spreadsheet, you tracked your market. Uh, this, this next 90 days is going to be such a tremendous learning experience, right? You've been doing it a year now. I promise you the next 90 days, you will see a change in the Jacksonville market. 
Um, what is the what is the median in Jacksonville? I have no idea. What's what's the what's the what what is considered affordable? Yeah, so I mean, the houses that we typically look to purchase, the big rehab we did was we bought it for seventy grand okay. in a good area. And keep in mind that was one that was you know needed new roof, new HVAC, had some foundation issues, completely mm-hmm. needed to redo the inside. So that's kind of the lower end. You'll probably be in that sixty, seventy thousand. Okay. Um, in the area that we like to look after being rehabbed, these are going to be anywhere from the 160 to 200,000 range. And then what would they rent for? Uh, you'll be, if you do a beautiful remodel as we would try to do in our rentals, um, you'll be looking anywhere from about 12 to 1300 bucks a month. All right. So 12, 1300. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense at 160 grand. It starts to get a little, little stretched at 200. Um, Okay. That makes sense. And I, I think you're doing the right things. Uh, I think you're right. I think the next purchase for you needs to be a fixer. You need to, you need to anchor uh, in Jacksonville. Uh, I think you're doing all the right things. Um, you have any questions for me? I think I like your plan. I like what's going on. Any, any questions? for Yeah. Me? No, I think my big one would be how are you planning on taking advantage of what's coming up? Ah, very cool. So again, like you, I'm going to stay in my market. I'm not going to, this is not the time to go to a second market or a market you don't know. It's going to be very, very messy. So I'm going to stay in Fresno, California. Uh, the short term, and I call the short term 2020, uh, I'm going to be looking to take over payments subject to. Uh, I think there's been a lot of new houses, uh, and when I call it new houses built in the last five years that have great interest rates. And those interest rates are things that I can't get, right? I'm an investor. I can't get an interest rate on a 30-year mortgage at 3%, for example. So I'm going to go find some of those folks. And uh, I'm going to hopefully buy 10 to 30 houses subject to this year. I will, I will try to use my cash to buy fixers, but I'm going to be freaking a cheap son of a gun, right? Like, for example, if I used to offer 100 on a f- total fixer, I'll offer 60 now, right? Because I don't have unlimited cash. Um, but when I use it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal something, frankly. Uh, and then as we roll into 2021, uh, I think forbearance and whatnot is going to come back to hurt a lot of people. It's not the cure-all that we think it is. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of short sales in, in REOs in 2021. So I'm going to buy a lot of homes in the next 18 months. And then as you read in my book, I'm going to do exactly what we did when we went from 8 to 80 in 2023, 2024. I'm going to sell the houses because now the economy's back. It's clicking along. And I'm going to sell my houses in 1031 into multifamily, which is going to be on sale because there are so many people that bought multifamily in the last two or three years uh, that are going to have to sell because they can't refi out of the debt. So I'm just going to do what I did last time. I'm going to buy a bunch of houses the next two years, then pause, and then 1031 exchange in four to five years. So that's my plan. I like it. And, you know, I'd also be curious as far as I love, I love your idea of teaching people one rental at a time and inspiring people to go take action. And, and I know it's really personally helped me get out there and be confident in what I'm doing. Um, where are you trying to get to personally? Um, as far as my rental portfolio? Yeah. Uh, I don't actually have a goal. Again, as you know, as we talked about a year ago, we live very frugally. We live below our means. I don't need another one. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep going until it doesn't make sense. So I don't have any big audacious goals. And that, that does bother me, right? I, 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 talk, I hear these big time people talking about, hey, I've got 1,000 units or 2,000 units. I just wonder if my mindset is wrong and maybe I should be thinking bigger. But 
that's not what's driving me the next 50 years. My, my goal the next 50 years is to create stuff that survives 100 years and is helping people long after I'm dead. So my goal is to try to help a lot of people believe that one rental at a time works. I want people to understand that boring single family homes is a great way to change your financial future. Bigger is better is not true. And um, so that's my goal is I, I want to help hundreds of people every year and create stuff that outlives me. So that's, that's really my goal. But again, I got a bunch of money. I'm going to keep buying until they don't make sense. Uh, I've now sold at the top twice, right? I sold houses in 06 and I sold apartments in 19. So I'm, I'm pretty good at this. So I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Nice. I like it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I will make sure your email is the first line below in case anybody has some needs for office or R&D space. Uh, take care of yourself. Good luck in Jacksonville and keep me informed with what's going on. All right. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate right. you having me. You got it, buddy.